Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. very special guest. Um, I saw his website less than a week ago, and as soon as I saw it, I was like, ah, I need to talk to him. Uh, so hello, my name is Tien Nio Imas. I am a wizard. So a wizard is one who transforms lead to gold. So I bring forth your most magical, amazing, beautiful self out from the mundane. I am, as uh, was introduced there, a wizard, yes, a coach, an alchemist, a silver and goldsmith, a feng shui consultant, speaker, writer, performer, used to be nude model, <laughs> onesie wearer, and <laughs> everything else has yet to be invented that I'm totally looking forward to. Yeah, you um, talk a lot about alchemy. What is alchemy to you? Alchemy is the um, act of turning lead to gold, and that is a physical state. There is, at the end of it, a more, I won't call it metaphysical, but it is a energetic state. Silversmithing, and fab particularly fabrication and silversmithing, which is about building your pieces out of sheet and wire, um, is a very alchemical form. When we say alchemy, alchemy really is the art of transforming anything that's base, whether it's a base metal, into gold, or anything that's ordinary, into something extraordinary. For me as a smith, I practice it using elements in fire, which is a really powerful component. Hence, cooking, for example, has a lot of powerful alchemical properties, because in cooking, people use fire. So when you use fire and you're using other elements like water and then your own intentions and your joy and your love, that's when it's really, really powerful. So with my smithing, it's very powerful that way because fire is present. It seems like your life has so much of this creative and creator energy. But one of the things that I found so compelling about your story is that you were able to transition from one mm. gender expression to another. Mm -hmm. yeah. It wasn't the easiest transition, but you made that transition, and that transition helped you find your magical self. Can absolutely. you tell me more about that? Um, absolutely. I love the story of gender. What I'm here to bring to the world is the distinction transcending gender. So my soul's journey did come to live the first 50 years of my life in tons of torment, tumultuous challenges, all the violence and inaccessibility and all of that stuff, whether it was from my family or whether it was through the Canadian system as I was, as I was a new 
a new person into Canada dealing with the immigration system or whether it was all the race and sexuality politics of the glorious 1990s, <laughs> all of that. And then, of course, we come to, you know, the trans, the trans part of my life where I chose to transition. So there was so much, honestly, so much richness in stupidity. <laughs> Let me say the wealth of awful things that happened to me was brilliant, so brilliant. So the evolution of gender as it is right now is taking us to the next level. It isn't quite it, but it's great. It's all part of the journey, right? Part of the journey to start human beings exploring that that the concept of gender, which is uh, male and female, or man and woman expression, are on either ends of the binary. And so now where we are in the trans and non-binary gender movement, we're starting to explore that, oh, there's a whole continuum. And there's all these different kinds. And I love it when you said gender expression, as opposed to gender as the truth. Gender is an expression. It is not who you are and it's not your truth. Whereas a lot of the world still believes that the gender is who they are and it is the truth. So I went through my own transition. Um, Honestly, the transition itself was very easy. It was simply, you know, oh, okay, it's time because, sure, why not? (laughs) I was tired. It really was. I was really, really tired of the restrictiveness of being called female, being called woman. And this is a very basic philosophy of humankind, right? When we look at somebody, we automatically come at looking at somebody with a filter which means we automatically have made up all sorts of assumptions about this person. Hence, I was aware that as long as the world kept labeling and seeing me as female, they would come approach me based with a whole filter. Everything within the box of woman is who you are. So they would talk to me and treat me a certain way, which meant I could never ever be the infinite space that I actually am as source and as a soul being. That was when I went, I, I no, <gasps> that's completely limiting. I can't be free to just be whoever I want to be and whatever I want to do. So I knew that the expression of the label of female or woman would completely restrict me. And I hated that. I was done. I was so done. There was nothing else for me to do. And so because there's a whole area for me I've loved and enjoyed as an expression, which was a masculine expression, and I never had the freedom to fully enjoy it because I wasn't allowed to. As female, you're not really allowed to have these expressions. Um, So I thought, well, I really want to experience that. I really want to experience what it's like to have that. So it made sense to transition, right? And uh, the process of doing it was honestly very simple because I didn't have, you know, as a spirit being, I I kind of always knew that in order for things to unfold and in order for manifestation to happen, you kind of just needed to chill out about it, (laughs) right? We know in intention setting that as witches or as conscious creators on planet Earth, we're always wanting more, that the only way you can have something manifest is to actually be light and breezy about it. You can't be like, rah, 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 
you know. It was only after a couple of years into living as male that I start realizing the challenges that I now face. I was the first Asian uh, trans man to publicly transition in Vancouver. So given that there were no other Asians at that point, and my other trans people I knew were all white, I was very aware of a racial, there was a huge race difference. And because I'm Asian, off Southeast Asian descent, I'm not hairy, right? My people are not hairy. And um, so, which as gendered masculine hair is a huge signifier. And I watched all my white buddies transitioning, sprouting hair within two months. And here am I, you know, 17 years later, I'm still fairly hairless, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I came up with a lot of insecurities around that. I had a hard time uh, passing because my features, partly being Asian, but partly my own soul level, I am. Um, I've always... Mean? What does two soul mean? Two souls means that there's actually two souls living inside my body. It's not a common thing. <laughs> and I've run into spirit people who have looked at me and went, whoa, what's up with that guy? There's two people in there. <laughs> Maybe that's partly why I am bi-gendered and I can be fluid in my gender experiences because there's a whole part of me that exists uh, when I am choosing a female expression. And I do that. And then there's a whole part of me that exists when I'm choosing a male expression. I kind of have a tendency to morph <laughs> into either masculine features or more feminine features with absolutely no control on my part. I can't control it. I'll wake up and I'll go, oh, well, I guess it's girl Tian that woke up today. Okay, fine, <laughs> you know. And then sometimes I'll wake up and be like, oh, yes, it's boy Tian. And most of the time it's just Tian. Whatever. Tian at home is just Tian at home. has absolutely zero gender. Tian in life chooses gender because then I don't get beat up and spit on so much. Tian goes out dressed a certain way, which is a gender coding. But who Tian actually is has no gender. But I choose a gender so that I can be seen a certain way so that people will treat me a certain way that really aligns for who I am at that moment. To me, what you just mentioned was very magical. Just mm -hmm. uh, the entire uh, historical um, tradition of intergendered people being the mm -hmm. shamans, being the spiritual leaders of past civilizations. I mean, that was common practice. For Absolutely. you to be able to say, have like this almost Buddhist Zen about it, I mm -hmm. mean, is that something that you practice? My conscious practice has uh, been derived from various modalities. So, yes, uh, Zen Buddhism was one of them. And I've, you know, dabbled in all sorts of different areas as well. And, um, you know, the basic Abraham Hicks teachings has always been dear to me. And the rest of it, for me, has been a combination of all of that and then my own way of creating something that really works here on planet Earth in this time period, 2018. So I have a uh, 
Magic Mondays. Much more interested in being happy than to being upset at them. It took years, honestly. It took so many years to find joy in the face of someone saying the most disgusting thing. Monday, I do a Facebook Live teaching and guidance. I'm always clear, and in any of my coaching and or guidance with people, the access to spirit isn't through all the things that you do. It's not the doing state that turns out or that allows for manifestation or allows for the expansion of your life. It's not what you're doing. It's who you're being. Energy is always coming through us. The only thing between God or the universe energy or whatever we want to call it and us being aligned because that really is the biggest desire, yes? The spiritual quest is for us human beings to be aligned to our higher self and be God living on earth or spirit living on earth in the highest, best potential that we truly are. So the biggest thing that gets the only thing that gets in the way of human being being purely magical is this. <laughs> so how do we do that? It's, it's, Let's say the average person and I struggle with this as well, doesn't automatically assume that they're spiritual or they do mm -hmm. struggle with their brain getting in the way. What are some things that they can do to not have that happen? That's what I teach. <laughs> I'll, I'll quickly let you know why. I'm not interested in the mantras and the meditation and all of that. I'm not. Because you can do that all you want, but if you're not aware how to be fully responsible for this beautiful organ in our head, it won't work. You will get some result, but it really, really won't work very much. So I want us to be fully responsible for this meat sack, this human body, meat flesh that we occupy here in three-dimensional space on planet Earth. And a big distinction is that we have this. So how do we do that? And that's where the fundamental uh, Zen Buddhist practice comes in. And this is the fundamentals of what I teach. Life has no meaning except the meaning that you put to it. Which basically means it is all a point of view. So I can tell the story of all the crap that's happened to me. And because I'm complete with all that, I don't have stuff about it anymore. I can always tell the story from a point of view of like being amused. Yes, and being entertained and having learned great lessons where someone might have a point of view about it where it's horrible torture and oppressive now the same thing happened but the point of views are different give you a quick example here so this when you look at this when you look at any object in your life when you look at any situation in your life you can look at it like if you can look at it from all your five senses What's so, what is actually real is, you can see it, touch it, feel it, taste it, hear it. That's what's actually real. Everything else that I say about it is a point of view. So, a magical person like you and me would look at this and go, oh, it's a crystal ball. It is, it gives us information. It's great for scrying. It connects us to the crystalline grid. It's Blah, 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 right? The tool of the fairies and the magic and the witches, right? And the wizards and sorcerers. That's what 
a magical person would say. A geologist would look at it and go, oh, this is crystalline quartz, blah, 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 matrix, blah, 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 molecular structure, and it's cut into a sphere. That's what it actually is. Yes? Somebody will just look at it, oh, it's just a round ball. So I'll tell you, with the three points of view, whose point of view is correct? Nobody. So is there any truth to any of our point of views? No. So that is the fundamentals of what I teach. And why do I teach that? Because, particularly because we are human beings, like I said earlier, who automatically, when we see something, we look at it with an already existing point of view. We make up something about it. Hence, we make up something about gender. We make up something about the Asian girl with the blonde hair. We make up something about whatever it is, everything we've seen. We make up something about war. We make up something about the president. All of that is all a point of view. None of it is true. A conscious creator is one who's aware that that's what we do. And when we are aware that we're making up judgments and opinions about everything and we know that's what's going on, now you can go, oh, I'm having a thought about you. It's not real. It's just an opinion. Then we practice being able to go, let's just shelf that opinion and be present. Mm. And when we're present, that brain is not making up a whole bunch of noise that's in the way between my connection with source and my connection with you as part of all the billions of souls on earth that are all part of the same source. A lot That's of people see magic. magic as something that is not just being present in the moment and just surrendering, but putting conscious control and will present moment. How do you define magic? Magic really is um, a consciousness in how we are acting and how we're feeling. So how we're thinking, feeling, and then acting goes three ways. It goes in a certain hierarchy. You think a certain way, and it makes you feel a certain way, and then you will act a certain way. And that's what actual magic is. And then you imbue that into whatever it is that you're doing. Now, once again, is magic real? It is not real. It is a point of view. It's a certain way of doing something. It is a certain, it's a language that we've placed onto a certain act of doing something. So let's say the old stories with the witches around the cauldron, stirring the cauldron, chanting their spells. That's magic because there's intentionality in their spell chanting, in the energy and in putting into this thing. Then that's power. Plus, then there's the added essence of the plant essence, the energy of the animals they might throw in there or whatever it is, the blood or whatever they're putting it. But magic in itself is coming from here. Speaking of using magical materia, there is a school of thought that says that all you need is the thought. You mm -hmm. don't need actual candles and herbs. What's your opinion? No, you're absolutely right. You don't. You don't need to. So an advanced practitioner doesn't need any of those. But someone who's new to it who has not, who's not trained their ability to channel their higher self because there's so much noise going on, 
they might need all those extra tools because it allows them more access to joy. The whole point of it is to bring in all the tools. I mean, I sell spells, right? So I have little kits. And the whole point of it is to have the energy and the elements that allows you to perform a ceremony that comes from a place of excitement and joy and beauty and wonder and creativity. All those positive kind of emotions that go into casting your intention is the foundation behind allowing it to manifest. The power comes from the excitement and the joy. So all the little tools bring forth the excitement and the joy. That's why after a while it doesn't work for people because it's habit. It's no more exciting, it's no more joyful, it's just habit. You know how the first time the first time you buy something, it's so exciting. Anything that we buy, new makeup, new, new shirt and whatever, right? So exciting. And you look so exceptionally good in it because there's so much excitement and so much passion. A couple months later, not so exciting. So you don't look so exceptionally good anymore. The spell has worn out. And the source behind that wasn't the thing. It was your desire and your excitement. Asian culture has a very different idea of a wizard than just, you know, Merlin and just, you know, the Arthurian court. What is your idea of what a wizard is? Uh, a wizard is actually is a wise one. And a wizard is one who's able to transform any... It's like an alchemist. It really is an alchemist who transforms any situation from dark to light, spouts a whole bunch of wisdom. <laughs> and for me, the distinction of wizard is they tend to be more solitary and they're also, um, they're powerful and very human at the same time. It's lighthearted and it can be furious at the same time. So it's a rich, it's a rich expression of all the human emotions. I live my life according to a certain code, which means it's all intentional. That's how the magic exists at every single level from where I choose to place any certain thing in my home to the color schemes in my home, the kind of clothes I wear, you know, how I treat somebody or how I talk about something or how I cook, how I schedule my life. Everything is intentional. It's got to be fun. I'm not serious about my life at all. I might speak like I'm serious, but I'm not. I'm ridiculously goofy and I'm only about joy. If it's not fun, don't do it. I'm also a performer and I have a couple characters that I like to play and my most favorite character right now is Greta Xiao. Oh no, 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 too sexy. Okay, what about this one? That's too boring. Okay, and ooh. That's, ooh, it's too polyester. Yeah, it's like my mother know. And then the moment Greta talks or does something silly, you start to laugh. And the moment you laugh, suddenly you're in that space of joy, which for me is like the highest spiritual space you can be in, is to be in joy. And when you're in joy, it doesn't matter anymore what this person is. Or it doesn't matter that you can't figure out anything about this person, but you're now happy. And I always, I always teach joy, because joy is an easy access for every human being. My heroes are not some guru, I really don't care about that. My heroes are comedians. What do I love to do? I love watching sitcoms. I love watching comedies. Because why? It's instant access to your source when you're laughing. 
Because you don't need to think about it. Ha ha, cabbage fall on the floor. Funny. <laughs> right? Oh, you fall down. Funny. Ha ha ha. Did you have to think about it? No, you don't. It was suddenly, ah, oh, so funny. There's no thought process and it's clear. The moment you laugh, you're at your highest vibration. And when your highest vibration is where you are in your true spirit being. I don't even use love. Because love is so heavy for a lot of human beings. There's so much, yeah, so much meaning attached to it. You know, this girlfriend or that boyfriend, or it's about me and it's my self-worth and that, ah, so heavy. I would love to be in joy all the time, but mm -hmm. it's hard. It's hard. I got it. And here's a couple things. Mm -hmm. Here's a couple things. Just because I choose joy, it doesn't mean I'm not a crabby bastard sometimes. That's the human part. Enlightenment isn't about not having the nasty emotions. I am extremely volatile. I can be very furious, violently angry and aggressive. I know what it's like. I've experienced and I still experience sadness and loneliness and anger and all of that stuff, right? But when, so enlightenment doesn't mean that. Enlightenment means that you know you are experiencing it. And enlightenment is actually when you can have joy while you're being sad. How? How? Like if I'm how? crying, if I'm crying, I don't know how to be joyful. Very good. So how do you transform? That's where the magic happens. Right? How do you transform that situation so that you can actually, number one, you've got to stop taking your life so seriously. That's the biggest ego factor with all human beings. We think our lives are so significant. It's not. It's not significant at all. Your life is nothing. Right? That's why when you look in the planets, it's so humbling. You look up in the sky, it's so humbling. At this moment in time, at Pacific Standard Time, 7.56 p.m., there are at least 7 billion human souls, plus all the other ones. Now, can you imagine, since the dawn of time, how many billions upon billions upon billions and trillions of souls have there been on Earth? We can't even fathom it, yeah? So if you can look at it from that way, oh my God, your life is nothing. My life is nothing. And it's so humbling. And when you access that place of humbleness, you just get that, oh my God, why why am I so serious? And what really? Why am I crying because some boyfriend broke up with me? <laughs> it becomes ridiculous. It becomes so ridiculous. And that, so you want to learn how to access that place of humbleness first, right? Because then that has you lighten up about your life. It's not that serious. And when you know it's not that serious, now you can choose to just do things because it's fun and it's joyful. And you speak from so, experience, correct? Because... <clears throat> absolutely. I have been violent. I have gone through choosing, like I chose to kill myself in 2009 was my biggest turning point for me because when I... When the next morning after my failed suicide attempt, I, I was awake and I was alive. 
And life up until that point was horrible, right? As a trans person failing to pass, you know, being treated like shit <laughs> in Canada in 2008, you know, having run out of money because there was so little self-love for me because I internalized the hatred that the world had on me that I, I just internalized it. And I just hated myself so much because what's wrong with this weird ass body? It doesn't fit into this world, right? So I had so much of that. And my family had disowned me and all of that, right? So I had lost all my money. There was nothing else. And, you know, I had a girlfriend for a short while who would be like, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong with you. You're just not man enough. Of course, the morning after when I woke up was when my phoenix rising, that's the tower had crumbled, right? Your tarot card, your tower crumbled. My tower had fallen and I was now in the ashes. And for me, that was the most brilliant, most beautiful time in my life. Because at that point, my soul spoke, said, okay, Tian, you're still alive. Now what? And I said, I really hate this. I hate this life. I hate it. I just want to be happy. And when I spoke that, I declared that it's so, I heard myself say that. I heard myself say nothing else matters except my joy. Nothing else. And when I suddenly realized that nothing else mattered except for me to be happy, all my priorities changed. That's when I dropped everything. Everything in my life I dropped. I left my business networking group. I was the president. I dropped all my interior design clients. I sold my loft. I left everything and I moved into the woods and lived in a little trailer. So in any moment, we can choose that, right? When we get that nothing else matters except your joy, that's the most profound thing in the world. Now, a lot of people say, well, then what's going to stop you from going around, you know, being a jerk to everybody because I'm just going to be happy. It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. I'd be like, there's two distinctions. One, that's all about me coming from ego, where you're covering up stuff. I have to make it all about me. And we know that person. We run across that person. They're usually a jerk. They're always a jerk because they're selfish in an ego-centered way. But when you're looking at it from a spirit-centered way, I'm just going to be happy because it feeds me, my soul wants to be happy. Not my ego wants to be happy, but my soul wants to be happy. True joy. True joy does not go around killing people. <laughs> True joy is just light. We know that, right? I emanate it. You emanate it. It's light. You walk, when you meet people who are just happy for real, you just smile. You are moved to tears because it's just light and joy coming out of them. That's what true joy is. But, you know, you cannot really get to that until you become good friends. Another basic Buddhist philosophy, you become tender with your humanity. You become good friends with your fear and your sadness and your grief and your ugliness. You have to go in there and be friendly with them. So when you're sad, people just want to be happy. No, the access to being happy is to be okay with being sad. So it's sort of like finding the joy in sadness, which is... Sounds like an oxymoron. I know, but it's possible. Because why? First of all, you make peace with your sadness. You stop fighting it. It's like, oh, it's okay. I'm sad. Oh, child, I'm sad. It's okay. Right? So you do that first. 
And then here's a fun thing about it is that you can always bring humor. Because if you are committed to being a hap, to being in joy, you will not wallow in sadness because you're committed. You really want to be happy. You will experience your sadness because it's true. Maybe somebody dumped you. Maybe somebody dear to you uh, passed away. It's true sadness. Be sad. My God. Somebody just dumped you. Somebody just died. Of course you bloody better be sad, you dumbass robot. <laughs> Don't pretend. Don't pretend. That's just being fake. Be sad when there's reason to be sad. And then honor it. I'm sad. Somebody you love just died. I'm sad. And then make peace with that. It's okay. I'm sad. I'll be sad for a couple days. And then, and then you move on. The problem is when people keep being sad or keep being angry because they keep like being justified about it. That's where it gets. That's where it gets uh, devastating. That's when it gets detrimental. And then you bring humor into it. How? Here's the fun part. Okay, if you're willing to take this one on, when you're sad and you're like, okay, I'm really tired of being sad, right? At some point, you get, I'm tired of being sad. All these stupid spells aren't working. Fine. <laughs> so. You just choose to do something silly about it. How do you be silly while you're sad? You go, oh, I'm so sad. You can honestly play it up. Be a caricature about it. You can do uh, play it up 10 times more. Be really dramatic about being sad. Throw yourself on the ground and, you know, and hit away on the floor. Like, serious. Do it. Because why? When you do it, suddenly you took your body, this is why our beautiful bodies, took our, our body out of a habitual state of experiencing sadness. Suddenly it's doing something different about it. And, look, and you suddenly, and, and energy-wise, you're shifting your chi when you do that. It's no longer stagnant. Because now you're throwing your body on the floor and you're flailing away. And you can look at yourself, you can imagine yourself doing that and how ridiculous it is, and suddenly you laugh. What you're describing is alchemy in so many ways, emotional it's alchemy. Absolutely alchemy, absolutely. And it's beautiful when we know that we can, every single one of us human beings has access to that. Because you know what? You're tired of being unhappy. You're tired of being sad. You're tired of hating yourself. All of that committed to turning that lead into gold you got it that takes commitment because that's what i'll say to people you want to stay unhappy it's clear you're obviously more interested in being unhappy yeah but yeah but uh, uh, yeah but all you want your yeah buts just say you're more interested in being righteous about being angry you're more interested in being righteous about being hard done by you're more interested in being a victim and I know all the victim conversations very well, right? Particularly around the gender stuff. I know them so well. <laughs> Is that one of the things that you do in terms of when you're working with the metals? Because for me, alchemy is very much an applied sort of magic. You're not just thinking yeah. about turning lead into gold. You are literally with your hands yeah. turning one chemical, one item into another. Mm -hmm. What do you think about when you're creating, when you're using metals, when you're being an alchemist? The metal smithing has definitely been my biggest teacher in my alchemy practice, in my spiritual practice. And before um, 
and I'll teach this to basic silversmiths, right? Because they'll be like, how is it sometimes I cannot even solder a very basic wire? Why is it it just doesn't even work? I'll say, what were you feeling when you were soldering it? They'll be like, oh, I was annoyed. I said, bingo, right there. Once again, we come back down to your feeling. So silver taught me that if I was not in an empty space and or in a joyful space, it wouldn't work. So if I was angry, forget it. None of the joints were going to take. So it trained me to listen to myself and then to be present and to just to be happy. So now, 22 years into smithing, I'm very practiced at this. It's like, I can do it in my sleep, kind of, you know. My brain is nothing. There's nothing going on. Or I'm watching some sitcom. Or I'm listening to my favorite soundtrack. The, uh, the Greatest Showman soundtrack. I'm all about that right now. All about it. Makes me cry. But most of the time, I'm not using my brain. Because I'm just letting, just letting my natural energetic state just guide me through it. I know how to do this well. You don't think about chopping onions when you've been doing it for 20 years, you just chop onions. What you're suggesting, it sounds amazing to me. It's sort of like uh, you're doing a physical activity to move the energy in the body and to help you disconnect the, the monkey brain from, because I mean, it's like trying to, if, if, you know, for me, I can't meditate sitting down. I have to walk. I have to move. And a lot of people are just like, no, meditation is you have to sit on a cushion for eight hours, mm -hmm. and you have to like, you know, mm -hmm. be serious about it. And I'm like, really? Mm -mm. I am quick to diss a lot of the spiritualism of present day. I have a very hard time with it. It annoys the heck out of me. <laughs> Please spill the tea. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because I I watch people do their namaste and their dumbass yoga things and they're spouting their this and that and meditating this and, and that. Fine, there's always a place for that. That's all great. But that's not the, that's not what it is. Being a, a conscious human being is not about how many yoga classes you're taking or how many meditations you're saying or how much even, God forbid, even how intentional you are about your life. It's not at all about any of that. It's not about, you know, the mantras and the, all of that. Nothing. It's not about that. It's about who you're being now and how you're feeling about your life. It's about the state of your brain. Are you using your brain to consciously create amazing things? Are you using your brain for what it's meant for, which is to consciously invent, create, fantasize, dream, awesome things for yourself and then for the world, are you consciously creating a new humanity? Or are you using your brain to be righteous? Are you using your brain to be angry? Are you using your brain to consciously think about the stupid thing that happened to you 10 years ago that you still keep reliving? Use your brain to consciously create what you want yourself and your life to be. And therefore, when you're more happy in your life, that is what you then offer to the whole world. So what would you suggest? Like the young witch who created a Jupiter altar to bring in more prosperity in her life. Two weeks or a month down the line, she's having problems remembering to do a weekly ritual. 
What do you suggest that she do to put more fun? Totally change up the oh, ritual? Yeah. Honestly, it's all whatever you want to do, just do it. There's some truth to some of it and some, some astrological stuff, but really, you look at a, a, a person who doesn't believe in it, it's no truth to them. Right? Someone who doesn't believe in karma, doesn't believe in the astrological stars, doesn't believe in Jupiter and Saturn and all of them, makes no difference in their life. So we have to own always that is my belief system that's making it real. So change it up all you want. Make up a whole new ritual. Drop it, even. If it's not fun, don't do it. Because is it real? No, it's not real. It's just me doing a bunch of things at a table, adding some this and adding some that and saying something. That's what I'm actually doing. But if you're believing and you're excited, that's when it has power. You are not inclined to do it because you've lost interest in it. It's that simple. Is there anything wrong? Absolutely not. It's just that you got bored. Quit beating yourself up because you got bored. It's okay. It just means you want something new. So go and create something new. Don't bother doing this one anymore. Put it aside. Maybe next year you might be interested in it again, just like the dress. Right? Put it away. Try something else new. Or do some different kind of practice. What I always want people to know, it is not about the spell. It is not about the ritual. It's about the energy and the emotion behind it. So you can go and take up race car driving all you want if it makes you excited. And that might have you manifest your dream. Because why? You got excited about something. It's not the spell. <laughs> Maybe driving the car sorry is the to spell. bust. I'm sorry to bust your myth mythical belief. The source of it isn't out there. The source of it is here. We all know that. It's a overused word. It's within you. But now I'm telling you why it's within you. Because it's an emotional state of being that's always within you. We started out this conversation before the formal interview um, talking about just the experience of being an Asian person who is magical. Mm -hmm. I have a feeling that being Asian, it definitely informs the type of magic I do and what I feel drawn towards. Because, mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's in my DNA somewhere. I mean, I come from a long line of Koreans. Such a rich, magical tradition in Asia. And mm. therefore, I believe, a rich, magical tradition amongst Asian people, but not a lot of Asian people who are openly magical. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that? Well, number one, it makes us special. So, <laughs> yay. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> One of the things, too, that I'm always clear that is every, every culture on planet Earth has its foundations in paganism, shamanism, whatever you want to call it. Paganism simply means, is the English word for um, honoring Mother Earth, honoring the animals, the plants, knowing that the stars, all of it, all the connectedness of souls and human beings on planet Earth. That's what paganism is. Everybody has it in every culture. What I get that is going on 
particularly in North America, this happens a lot in North America, right? It's a very interesting race kind of thing that goes on about it. And not to go on into it too much, because it's another conversation that I feel passionate about. At many different points, different colors have colonized. But the most recent has been white people. So given that that is our conscious awareness of colonization right now, then a lot of um, a lot of us have been impacted by it as Asians or people of color, right? So our own pagan practices have been wiped out by the white person's religion. Hence, China, a lot of countries that have all been colonized, it's now gone. But it's okay, it'll come back at some point. You and I may not be around for it, but it's evolution of birth. It will come back still, right? Um, and then a lot of... Um, the white people now, conscious white people now start to feel bad that their ancestors went off and killed a whole bunch of colored people all around the world. So then they internalize that racism and they feel bad for being white. So then what happens is that in their, they, because they feel bad for being white, they are not connected to their pagan roots. And so they've lost their connection to their spirit. And so they go around looking for spiritual access in other colored people's practices. And then they take it. And now they start practicing the Peruvian shamanism practiced by some white person. So that's when appropriation starts to happen in the spiritual community. And at the source of it, I just want to boldly declare what's going on there is a lack of love for the meat sack and the color and the race that you chose to bore yourself into. You have so much self-dislike and hatred that now you are using other people's practices to enhance your spirit access. Since so much of our own practice has been taken away from us, you know, a lot of us have to go in and find it again, right? But then it's a very different place, I find, when we are experimenting or trying out, you know, for example, my own passion in Avalon and all that stuff, right, Merlin and everything. Absolutely. It's colonial, it's colonization as well, but it's okay. It's no big deal. Like, I can go and enjoy that all I want, but I'm clear. I'm Asian. <laughs> you are clear. You're Asian. Our relationship to our race is very different. I say things that a lot of people are unwilling to say. And there is a lot of real life experience of how it's played out over my life. That therefore I have a certain relationship to it that I feel like I have the background and the audacity to say it. I mean, on so many levels, I agree that appropriation, it bugs me so much and for me it's when white people they take this indigenous um, people of color cultural practices they rebrand it and repackage it to be palatable yeah. call it the uh, the Gwyneth Paltrow effect you know she's taken like I don't know like some sort of like Hindu god or something like that and made a statue of it and now selling it online how about the actual artisans the people in the country, in India, are they profiting from it? Mm -hmm. Not really, but no. you know, Gwyneth is. Well, you know, when Walmart is selling Buddhas, <laughs> right. right? What has this world become? <laughs> right. 
happening. The appropriation of all that is just it's ridiculous. It takes you away from the source. Once again, it has it become, it just makes it watered down. So that now spirituality is like this. Oh, I'll just pray to this, this statue. It's all good and I'm all holy and I, I can give myself a pat on the back for being a good person. But you still go around thinking horrible thoughts about people. You still go around judging people for not being holy enough or not doing the yoga thing right or not meditating. You're upset with people and you're judging people for not you know, being spiritual while you're still being a jerk. <laughs> right. So obviously that isn't working. So... You know, any of this practice, as I always once once again will always come back to, it's not about the thing. It's never about the thing. It's never about the mantra. It's never about the yoga. It's never about the idol. It's about this. I promise you the magic that comes out of your practice when it's sourced from your own people is going to be so much more powerful because it actually runs in your blood, your bloodline. How has your Asian background influenced your magic? My Asian background, um, because I'm Asian, I think that the, own, the, the way it's influenced my, my magic is, like I said, the magic, I've taken away the doing part. Okay? So we want to distinctly be clear. It's not about the doing. My Asian background has allowed me to experience life and experience full-on racism as experienced seeing my grandmother, whom I think was pagan, right, in a fundamentalist Christian family, seeing the kind of interesting energy that she emitted, despite my very fundamentalist Christian family. So seeing it in that context in Singapore, seeing the context that I experienced stuck here in Canada, and then <clears throat> my Asian skin has allowed me different it's given me lots of different kind of experiences here in North America. And then the magic comes from that. We always want to exoticize magic. We really, really do. And what is that about? That's just our ego. It's our ego trying to make magic more special than an ordinary thing. Which is fine. There's nothing wrong about that. But that's very level, very basic level. <laughs> Magic isn't that special. Magic is all around because it's just you connecting to your higher self and then saying how you want your life to go. You are creating your magical life with the wild, amazing fantasies that you want to have and the wild, amazing, crazy life that you want to live. That's magic because it's suddenly becoming real. So imagine magic actually exists when we're doing something new. Hmm. And we're creating a whole new world. Hence, magic is alchemy. Changing lead to gold. Is it possible to be such, a, to be a human being who now has such deep honor, love, and respect, and joy for this meat sack that I was born in, given the background that I was brought up in? And given all the violence and hatred that I've put up with and I've experienced, is it possible? It's pretty magical. What you're proposing is something that sounds radical, but actually deep down is like true magic, which is you are the magic. You're the spirit. Very good. Very good. I just got chills. Very good. Yeah. You are the magic. Every single one of you is the magic. It's not the deity. It's not the thing. It's never the thing. I Because mean, then you make it outside of you. 
very good. Yes? Yeah. We know we are so perfectly capable to create whatever we want. And the moment you make magic about the thing, you put it outside of you. And you stop being responsible for you. And then we have this meat suit, which is glorious. That's a bunch of wacky things. And we have and we are here to enjoy that experience. So we have to stop trying so hard and enjoy now, whatever's going on now, even if it sucks. You have to find a way to enjoy it. And you can always find something enjoyable, even when it sucks, I promise you. You're just not looking hard enough. And you're not committed enough to being happy. The way that you describe it, which is the magic of being Asian, was that it gave you experiences, because you are the magic. You as a yeah. magic experience things yeah. because you're Asian. That's yeah. how being Asian affected your magic. Yes. That's huge. That's huge because all of a sudden magic isn't outside of me anymore. Magic Very is good. every experience that happens to me. Now, everything that you choose to do, then you're actually, your priorities shift. Right? So now, for example, grocery list, for example, it's ordinary and mundane as that. I always have to make sure I have a lot of round things in my grocery list. Because I like round things and they make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so make sure I'll buy a big bag of Brussels I always have Brussels sprouts because Brussels sprouts always make me laugh because they're weird and they're round and they're just weird looking vegetables Tasty. they're just little round balls so you know things like that right and that way you can always make sure there's always fun and magic in your life because you can choose it intentionally and by the way whenever you held up that crystal I kept thinking about David Bowie in Labyrinth you know, and he's like, <laughs> I was like oh my I, god. All about this. Yeah. You know, one of my, my, my other dream jobs was to be a magician, like an actual magician. So yeah, now I got to think about David Bowie, which gives me a lot of joy. So thank you for that too. Yay! See? Channeling David. <laughs> if you want to visit Tian's website, he has these cute little spell boxes. And uh, can you tell us more about the spell boxes? My spells, I have 18 spells, and uh, my spells pretty much are for all sorts of amazing things to help you, you know, when you're going through a hard time, to allow people to have some peace and acceptance when you're going through hard times. That's your love spell and your money spell and your wizard's wand for that? success. This one is Avalon. This one is a popular spell. It is specifically to awaken your spirit or when you're feeling stuck. It's a great one for that. And so each spell box will contain supplies for you to go home to perform your ceremony with, and that will help you manifest your intentions. And my guidelines are all on there, and it's rude, like I am sometimes. <laughs> I'm very straight talking, because I'll say in the gut, in the actual spell, it'll be like, you know, if you're feeling, if you're feeling sad and pathetic and unloved and gross, do not cast your spell. It shall not work, because all this comes back to this, and then this will help it. And guys, like in the comments below, like let us know what you feel about whatever we talked about today. There were so many things, but mainly about how can you make your magic more effective by being the magic, not letting it being outside of you, but being the magic. So again, Tian, thank you so much for joining me. This was such an awesome talk. My pleasure. It was really beautiful being with you. Thank you.
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan signing off.